right, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 10. The conflict continues. We are at war. Did you know that? Amen. <laughs> he wins. You get to the back of the book, right? He wins. But it's a, it's a war in the meantime. We are in a firefight with the devil right now. And I don't mean just generally, but I mean specifically as a church right now. He wins. Nothing to be afraid of. It's just, you know, it's just different. It's just different right now. And we need to keep doing the things that we're doing to lay claim to the victory because uh, we're in a firefight with the devil. Move up here just a little bit so I can see you guys. But this conflict continues. A couple of weeks ago, we started looking at this conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees in John chapter 8. And this, this argument continues all the way through John chapter 10, verse 41. It's all about these Pharisees who were, are, were trying to reduce Jesus to a manageable size, which is the human, human idea. Let's get Jesus down somewhere where we can get him into our pocket. We can call on him when we need him. We can get him to do the stuff we need him to do when we got stuff we can't do, but let's not let him rule our lives. And so that's the human idea is to reduce Jesus. And religion does it time after time after time after time, tries to reduce the majesty of Jesus into some manageable explanation. And in reality, he's a mystery. He's the second person of the Trinity. He's the God of the universe. And so we rolled out a couple of weeks ago, and we saw that the first announcement was that, well, I'm God. I'm God. And everything has to flow from that. All of these I am statements of Jesus that we're going to be looking at in these, in these Gospels uh, are, have to flow from that place where we understand that he's God, that Jesus is God. Do you get that? Last week we saw as God, he's also the light of the world, that he brings light where there's darkness. He brings light where there's darkness. We need more light. We need more light. We live in a present darkness, and we need the light of Jesus to come and show us things that we can't see. The other two things that he says in this specific argument with the Pharisees are, he says, I am the gate and I am the good shepherd, both of which were kind of scandalous statements. Next week we'll look at the good shepherd, I think, Lord willing, but today I'd like for us to focus on his comment, on his statement where he says, I am the gate. Let's see if we can ask the Lord to come and and tell us what that means. Lord, you're the gate. Your words mean something to us. But unless you come by the power of your Holy Spirit, they don't mean everything to us. And so we ask you to come and to peel the layers off of our eyes, to re- relieve us and free us from our own religious prejudices about what this needs to mean, and be open to the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that you can speak to each individual heart where it lives and the circumstances in which it's found, and bring this, this living word this living, powerful word to bear on our hearts today. That's our, my desire. That's our desire. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen? John chapter 10. This argument continues. I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter, by the, enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber. In Jewish law at the time, there was a distinction, much like ours, between a thief and a robber difference in our, we would say, between robbery and burglary. So burglary is when someone breaks in and steals something. Robbery is when somebody says, give me your money. And it was in the same way. And these shepherds, these keepers of sheep, because this is, this is a, 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 an historical context where sheep were all brought together, as we've talked about before, and different flocks were brought together so that the shepherds could take turns guarding the flock at night so somebody could get some sleep. And he said, you have to watch out and being a shepherd with both the thieves and the robbers because some, some will rob. Some will come and steal in it, come and try to steal at night. 
those who are thieves, and the robbers will come, and you know, if you're moving your sheep from one place to another, they'll say, I'm taking your sheep, or I'm taking one of your sheep. Because, you know, they didn't carry currency in much the same way that we carry it now, so they'll take what you have. I'll take your sheep. I'm going to take that sheep. I'm going to slaughter it. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to steal. I'm going to steal from you what's yours. And so he's saying that uh, anybody who, who comes in by... Uh, the sheep pen by the gate, but doesn't come in that way, but climbs in by some other way as a thief and a robber. And he's saying something very serious here. He says, the man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him. Now, the watchman wasn't a shepherd. The watchman was a hired person. The watchman was someone who their only job was to recognize who was coming in and out. And they, they weren't even required to stand in a place where they would, uh, they would take on a thief or a robber. They would just call for the other. They were hired, these watchmen. And this watchman opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. Not the watchman, but the shepherd. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Maybe we'll get to that next week. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. I don't know the voice of Jesus, people. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they didn't understand what he was telling them. (laughs) You know, we have the great luxury of 20 centuries of hindsight, right? We think, why couldn't they get that? That's so obvious. (laughs) Well, that's because it's been explained to us over and over and over again. Therefore, Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep didn't listen to them. He says, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Got it? Fascinating imagery. Gathered flocks, different shepherds hanging out together through the night, some sleeping. And in many cases, you know, these places that they put them were somewhat makeshift, stone fences to hold, try to keep this flock together, and a gate that was a gateway, but no gate. And so it was not uncommon for the shepherds to take turns sleeping in the gateway so that they actually were the gate. And Jesus said, I am the gate. I am both the gate and, as we'll see next week, the good shepherd. I am the gate. I am the one who permits passageway from one place to the other. I think that's the point. And that's why I want you to focus your attention, is that Jesus is inviting us as the gate to move from one place to another. That being a Christian isn't just staying in the same place, trusting in Jesus for the day when he'll come again or when you will live your last day and then move from another place. But Jesus says, I am the gate. I want to move you from the condition into which you are born into another condition, into a condition where you're dwelt by the Spirit, where you're enriched by the Word of God, where you're walking it out as a Spirit-filled believer. And if you don't move from this place to the next, then I have not functioned as a gate for you. If you are the same person that you were before, living the same life with the same dynamics and the same values and the same limitations, same restrictions as you were before, then Jesus has not been a gate. Does that make sense? To, from. To, from. What? Ten things I'm going to give you. Ten. Listen fast. 
next, next. Come on, it's frozen. It's really cold. Not happening. Okay, I should have been looking at you, not that, huh? He's back there. I'm doing the best I can. Want to join our site team? <laughs> wow, that was a negative commercial, wasn't it? Thanks, Carl. Okay, it's cold out, so the computer's frozen also. Here's what it will show at the 11 o'clock service. <laughs> There's a, I want to give you a li- quickly a list of 10 things. You're moving from something to something. You're moving from condemnation into salvation. Did you hear that? You're moving from condemnation to salvation. With Jesus functioning as the gate, Jesus said, whoever believes in me, whoever believes in the Son is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in the Son is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So we're born condemned. We're born into this side. But by Jesus, his finished work on the cross, and functioning as a gate, we move from condemnation into salvation. Did you know that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death? That's in Romans. I'm not making this stuff up. That you're moved from condemnation into salvation. That if you live, if you continue to live under condemnation and accept the condemnation of the world and of the devil, you have not made the crossing. Now, the devil wants to keep coming back and telling you you you're condemned. But the devil is a liar. That's what he does. How do you know when the devil is lying? His lips are moving. That's what he does. And so you are a born-again, blood-bought child of God, son or daughter of the living God through the finished work of Jesus, yes or no? Then you are not condemned. You are not condemned, and you have no business living in the condemnation when God wants you to live in the freedom, the liberty, the salvation that he's given you. That's an indication that you've crossed. You've crossed from red to black. Red means debt. Black means no debt. And the debt of your sin has been canceled. Jesus functioning as the gate says you're moved. You had this huge debt. But 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. Every bit of it. There is no debt. Are you trusting in Jesus as Savior today, yes or no? Yes, then you, you have no debt. He has crossed, he has brought you to a new place. Some of you have been through our Financial Peace University and through a series of disciplines on your part, you have brought yourself to the place where you no longer have any debt. Hallelujah. And you're living in freedom because of that. What a difference. The world wants to put debt on you. Jesus wants to set you free. It's the same thing. We are born into this world with a debt of sin, a debt we couldn't pay. Jesus paid it for us. And so we are moved from the red into the black. You don't owe anything anymore. You must know this. You must embrace this. That Jesus pays for our sin. He paid for it and he pays for it. Through his continuing blood, speaking blood. You, you move, as Jesus says, the gate from thoughts about God to a knowledge of God. Get this. Thoughts about God to, through the gate, into a knowledge of God. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Know. 
Not thoughts about God. Lots of Christians I see spend a lot of their time organizing their thoughts about God and running to and fro, running to this thing and running to that thing, running to this teacher, running to that teacher, and trying to get their thoughts organized about God. I have a plan for you. Move through the gate, sit in the presence of God with your Bible and the Holy Spirit, and know God. Know God. The thoughts will never make sense until you move through that, until you move your life not into a life of, 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 of unending study. I'm all for study. You know that. But an unending study, but into unending sitting at the feet of Jesus so that you'll not know about God, thoughts about God, but you'll know God. You move in a related way from religion about God into relationship with God. This is the difference. Religion about God into relationship with God. There is so much empty religion in the world today. There is so much nonsense, empty religion in the world today. Getting people to conform to a certain religious standard, but not introducing them to Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Come on. Come on. We need to take an ice pick, wherever we see religion in this church, and stick it through the heart of it. And stick it through the heart of it. I don't want to make you like me. That's religion. I don't want to make you like anybody. I want to introduce you to Jesus. Let him make you into the man or woman, the young person that he wants you to be. And there's a, there's a change. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you what? Does anybody know this? I've called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. And he said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And the father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is the mark of a person who knows him. is isn't religion. He says, you're not my servant in, the, in a religious sense. I serve Jesus because I'm in a relationship with him. I serve Jesus not because I have to, but because I want to. Hello? You do too. That's the crossing. And religion, you guys, is about settling for so much less. Even, even fun religion. I think one of the, my greatest fears of the vineyard is that we become a fun religion. We become an enjoyable religion. Oh, it's still religion. Kill it. If you're not meeting Jesus, if you're not growing in your knowledge of Jesus and his knowledge of you, his embrace of you, then something's wrong. You're settling for less. We also cross from law into grace. From law into grace. Religion says do this, 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 this. You getting the point? An endless list of do this. The Bible says, it's by grace you've been saved, through faith, not by works, lest any man should boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. And so out of this relationship of grace, out of this relationship of grace, our life flows, moving from law to grace. Many people get caught up over here. They get passionate about Jesus, and they begin to just develop a new list of their life. A new list. It doesn't look religious because it doesn't look like the religion that they came from, but it's just a different list of laws. You are free. You are free. The whole book of Galatians is dedicated to announcing that you are free. The law can't save you. 
You move from the Jesus is the gate. You move from hypocrisy into authenticity. The conflict with Jesus and the Pharisees was always about this, wasn't it? You guys are fake. He said, he would say to them, he said, you guys, you know, on the outside you look so nice, but on the inside you're dead. He said, that's fake. He said, I'd rather you look dead on the outside so we could deal with this, right? I mean, God's goal for us is so that we, that we have life and the life inside of us pours to the outside. But he said, we can't fake it. That's hypocrisy. That's hypocrisy. He said it again and again. And we have to admit, people, come on, in all of our lives, there is some element of hypocrisy, isn't there? Can't we say that? In every one of our lives, mine included, there is some element of hypocrisy. And by that, I mean there's something going on that we just would not be comfortable wearing on the outside. Is that right? It's just me and Matt. Did you say it's just me and Jay? That wasn't very nice. Yeah, you're in my home group. You'll, you'll pay for that. In reality, but in reality, there's something hypocritical about every one of us. But as we grow in Jesus, because remember we saw... We saw just last, a couple of weeks ago, so when Jesus spoke, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, hypocrisy is about darkness, about things that we want to keep covered up. There are things about things we want to hide. And we can't, we can't bring that stuff out. And some of those things are life-threatening issues. Now, I pray to God that none of mine are life-threatening issues. I pray to God that none of yours are. And I also pray to God that as we walk closer to Jesus and more and more light is shed on us, we just become more authentic. But this is, this is the crossing. This is the gate that Jesus, out of hypocrisy into authenticity. Number seven, weakness into power. From weakness, Jesus said, I'm the gate. So you're going from something to something. You're going from weakness into power. Paul said, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, I came in weakness and fear, with much trembling. This is Paul. He said, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. The crossing is from weakness into power. There is power in the blood, beloved. There's power in the blood of Jesus. There is power today, not in the thought of the blood, but in the blood as a kingdom reality. The blood of Jesus is a kingdom reality. It's something that exists in the kingdom of God realm, which is right here among us. So when we bring our infirmities to the blood of Jesus, we bring our sin to the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus does something. We move from weakness into power. Number eight, we move from black to red. We move from black to red. Didn't you say we move from red to black? Yeah, with respect to the debt of your sin. But Jesus wants to put you in debt. Paul says, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. For revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remaining outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For he who loves his fellow man has fulfilled the law. Because of Jesus in my life, I'm indebted to you. Dennis, I got to love you. I got no choice. I got bad news. I got worse news. You got to love me. We're stuck. Debt. 
A debt that I, I can never possibly fill except for Jesus living in through me and in through you, right? But he, he's calling you into a life of debt, but your only debt is to love one another. That's hard work sometimes, isn't it? But that's the call of God. The gate, Jesus is calling us, number nine, from isolation into community. From isolation into community. Look, the whole model of Jesus, the whole model of Jesus was to reach out to the isolated, wasn't it? Come on. There were lepers. Nobody would touch. Nobody would have anything to do with them. He shows up and he goes, where are the lepers? (laughs) You know, our last trip to India was just so fascinating to go again to that colony of lepers and just to go in there and give them blankets and just to share in life with them and just to touch them, lay hands on them, pray for them. Because nobody touches them. Nobody touches them. They're isolated. They live literally in an isolated community. And Jesus was always about going to the isolated He said, where are the tax collectors? Basically, Jesus said, who are the people you really hate? Who are the people you just can't stand, Jesus said. Who are the people who aren't welcome in the synagogue? Where are they? He said, that's where I want to begin. (laughs) And the whole thing about Jesus was bringing people out of isolation into community. Tax collector is one of the 12... One of the 12 disciples, a tax collector in the community. Can you imagine what that was like for the other 11 for a while? Come on. I mean, how many times did he have to say, I'm here because of Jesus. Deal with that, Jack. Isolation in the community. See, God's call into this church isn't just for you to come and listen. Or even just come and listen and respond. But it's to come and blend your life with the lives of these crazy people who are sitting in these seats with you right now. Thinking, look around, maybe you wish you'd have been a little more selective about your church choice. The whole example of the first century church was to create a community of the Spirit. A community of the Spirit. It wasn't to get people saved. but to create a community of the Spirit. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If you notice, the, the first century church wasn't very evangelistic because they didn't have to be. They were a community of the Spirit. And so they were naturally evangelistic. So they enjoyed the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The, the example of first century church is to be a community of the Spirit. And we live in this culture of isolation. The whole purpose of God's continuing plan of evangelism today is to create a people. Did you know that? 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, we've looked at that a few times. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people, a people. That's a plural kind of concept, belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Look at the next verse. Once you were not a people... But now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. The reason that Jesus extends his mercy to any of us is to enfold us into the people of God. Out of isolation, into community. At the point that the devil is persuading you to resist community, I should say at the point you're resisting community, the devil is at work 
and succeeding. And then the last thing, number 10, ask me what it is. Never mind, it's death to life. The gate, Jesus is the gate. Let me get that for you. Uh, There you go. Uh, It's from death to life. From death to life. We're born into death. He's the gate into life. John 5, 24, Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He has crossed over from death to life. And it's life for later when the body stops, but it's life for now when the body's still working. It's life for now. So this this is what Jesus is meaning when he says, I'm the gate. And I just give you 10 examples. Now I could probably give you 110. Would you like the other 100? (laughs) Not now. Next week. (laughs) But there's a crossing. Jesus is the gate. He's the gate. Jesus gave his life. He permitted himself to be hung on a cross to function as the gate from death to life. All these things, from condemnation to salvation. So my question is probably pretty obvious. Have you made the crossing When you compare these two descriptions, is there enough evidence in your life to say, I've crossed through that gate? Or are you still living on this side of the gate? Maybe you believe in the gate. Maybe you can sing to the gate. Maybe you have verses memorized about the gate. Maybe you've told other people about the gate. I don't know. Maybe you've gone to seminary and know how to say gate in Greek and Hebrew. Maybe. Maybe you've spent a lifetime thinking about the gate. But have you crossed from death to life, from weakness to power, from condemnation to salvation? Only you know that. Listen, someday you're going to die. Don't die on this side of the gate. Don't die thinking about the gate. Someday soon Jesus is coming back. Don't get caught on this side of the gate. Don't get caught on this side of the gate. Don't get caught thinking about the gate. Lord, we invite you to come now and finish the work that you've started. You are the gate. It's not a religious concept. It's a kingdom reality that you're the gate. And I pray for every person who's stirred by this reality right now. It is not my intention to cause anyone to doubt the validity of their salvation. It is not my heart. It is my heart, Lord, to reach anybody who is living on the wrong side of the gate right now for any reason, any way that they've been deceived into thinking about the gate. I pray the power of the Holy Spirit to come for them now. Power of the Holy Spirit to come for them and cause them to release their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord of their life so they can move from death to life. I pray this for every person. I pray this for the person who maybe has never heard this kind of thing before. I pray for this for the person who has been hearing the gospel message for decades but suddenly realizes they've never passed through the gate. Spirit of the Lord, come. Come now. Come and do your work in us. Do your work in us, Lord. Do your work in us.
Pray, Father, that you will create a safe place in here, some kind of region of security for people to come so that they can release their faith for what needs to happen now. I pray that at this moment, you will extend your right hand of salvation to every person who has not yet come to know you in this way. Power of the Lord come into this room now. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to stand here by the gate. I'm just a watchman. (laughs) Jesus is the gate. I'd like to offer to pray for anybody here in this room right now who says, I get it now. I want to place my faith in Jesus in the way you're talking about so I can have that assurance of crossing from death to life. I get it that it's not about a religion, a particular religion or any religion. It's about Jesus. And there's just something stirring inside of you now. And you say, today I'd like like someone to help me place my trust in Jesus as the gate. You can come and you can stand here. When you get here, I'll get here. I'll just take a little time to pray with you. I'd also like at the same time for some of you who are prayer ministry people to go into the corners, more off into the corners a little bit over here and be prepared and ready to pray for anybody who would like to receive prayer for anything. Healing, the power of Jesus to break out in their lives. But I'll be right here by the gate.